0: Mascot First, characters are definitely something intimidating to run into when you're tiny.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I like. I am on the fence because, like, you know, I do remember there being like some not great uh, Easter Bunny Santa Claus interactions as a child, mm. but I also remember like pretty being pretty jazzed about Disney World and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know if it's the design of a mascot character or if it's the mm. environment around an interaction with a mascot character uh, that, that doesn't squeezeability free. Yeah. Uh, these these bad boys look very huggable they look like mm-hmm. huggable creatures
0: <sighs> yeah it's the uh, first... a project i uh, worked on a while ago was with um, oh, yeah. the premier league it had a bunch of football mascots as part of the content of it and you could kind of tell how well off a particular football team was by the quality of the mascot that they had. <laughs> where like sure. some is just like, oh, this is just a living cartoon. This this is just a, a cartoon line that has come to life mm-hmm. and it's here. And there are others that are like, oh, this is a thing that is fully escaped from Silent Hill. I can't
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 get this away from me. Ah
1: uh, yes. Mm. <laughs> this is the umbridge trapped coal miner. The <laughs> famous- <laughs> The Flintshire Playgrats. Um, <laughs> the costume is too goopy. <laughs> We are on the Uhuru. Jonnet, I want to know where are you on the ship uh, and what have you decided to do because the captain and Gable have not shown up promptly, I would describe. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
3: I think that Jonnet, we probably pick up with Jonnet like right outside like our medical wing, just kind of like, you know, peeking in, checking on Angelo, like he Angelo like if we see like a dirty shot of like Jonet uh in the sort of the background peeking in, we see like the sheets like rising and falling. So we see that Angelo is breathing, but he's not moving. He's unconscious. And so Jonet keeps peeking in and then like going back into the the hallway and He's not like looking at a cl- he's not like looking at the clock but he's like there's a there's a candle lit in the hallway and we slowly see like time lapses of this candle get lower and lower and lower and the every time John is like what where are they where are, are th- we we agreed we agreed <laughs> um, hasn't
1: anyone ever told you that a watch pot never boils who are you? <laughs> I'm Carmen, the doctor mm-hmm. that you hired for the ship.
3: My bad. I but also
1: It's okay. I was a recent acquisition.
3: Okay. It's, okay. thank you. Thank you. You are doing such a great job. I The
1: man that you
3: brought in was in bad shape. He's <laughs> not gonna get any better in the next couple of minutes. Okay, well thank you for saying that. I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe uh pace uh, upstairs a little bit, but I, I can't promise that I won't be back because uh, I'm just worried. He's a, he's a, He was a great guy, and he doesn't deserve what, what happened to him. Um, Nobody who ends up on that slab deserves
1: it. Well, that's not true. Some people <laughs> deserve it, but it's hard to know most of the time. I say don't worry about it because stress is bad for your health.
3: Mm. Wow, Carmen, I'm kind of kicking myself for kind of forgetting that you're around. You seem... You seem you seem cool. It's very difficult.
1: There are a lot of characters that are added to the ship, uh, and we can see running behind Janet like a giant parakeet, uh, uh, a very hairy <laughs> Hair? man. Um, gosh, I'm trying to remember the other ones that we did b- earlier than that, and I simply Gable. cannot. <laughs> <No>. Gable,
3: <laughs> different one. Uh, so I think Janet. we get a couple shots of him just like trying to twiddle his thumbs and occupy time but then he sort of starts to like trace back like this whole thing with the cleaver where did it start and he's like the captain's quarters and so he goes back to the captain's quarters and like we get a moment of like of like he realizes that Maybe Jonna isn't necessarily here without the captain often, really, at all. And so he's like, I'm going to be respectful, but also, like, things are hitting the fan and I don't know what's going on. So Jonna is actually going to start, like, pulling things off the wall and looking for either, like, a, a source of magic or, like, This is great! I'm so glad. Perception check on the room. (laughs) Yeah, Mm. yeah.
1: uh, Make a perception
3: check. Well, we'll start with that. Boom. Is there any way to, like, aid this with magic? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Because like opening your eye would definitely do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, then I'm going to. If this is, I think I have two magic. I'm going to add two magic to this. Great, great. Uh, two will either add a new die or
1: upgrade two existing dice. So that would be 2d12 and a d8 if you were to upgrade both of those. Or uh, a d8. honestly, 3d8 right. and a
3: d6, which it's all good. 3d8 and a d6? All right. Yeah, uh, go for uh, it.
1: Uh, uh, uh one, d- two, Just... Three. Mm. strategy note while well, y'all are thinking if you mm. upgrade d8s to d12s that gives you potential for critical successes mm. where adding new dice like technically ups your success pool mm. I I don't know which is better in different circumstances yet there is a That's way for the, me to the find math that out, but... out. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. alright so we've got here we go we got the let's go through the d8s um, mm-hmm. we got a 6 a 5 okay and a 6 oh, and then shoot. okay on the d6 we have a 6 Ooh. um
1: great uh so you get uh three fate um mm-hmm. and four successes so here's what happens tyler yeah you enter the room entering oramar's office like for whatever reason the shadows feel heavier in here and the air is colder. Like it's not freezing cold, but you swear when you exhale uh, that you can see your breath. You turn up like one of the lamps in the room. Uh, Light goes into the room and It does feel like you just have heavy contrast shadows everywhere. This whole office feels more intimidating, more menacing than it normally does. You whip your head around to the small library slash trophy shelf where the cleaver was before. Um, And you can see on the ground in front of that shelf is a book, an old book with elaborate, like, filigree covers, this uh, strange, smooth leather on it, and these old, weathered pages, you know, that must be upwards of 100 years old. It is the book that you recognize recovering from the civility that was locked away in the same place as the feather weave and the angel feather that you recovered from the civility. It sets off kind of like an icy prickle in your fingertips just looking at it. And confronted with this threat, I think that's what makes you want to open your eye. Your eye flickers open and there is a presence in the room. Uh, It is hard to define exactly. Like you can tell that it is it was here recently and it left behind like some kind of evidence uh, of it being here you're peering through uh, and kind of following it there is a desk by this library and you hear coming from the deck just a a
3: knocking from inside the drawer john it says to himself oh i don't like the look of that and uh and so he's going to he's going to like pull out his kasarigama kind of like get into a ready stance and then like one two creep up to the desk and then he's probably going to get to the desk and using like the bladed end of the kasarigama uh he's going to like grab the handle and he's going to open the desk uh to see what is inside Inside the desk, you do see something
1: uh, that might startle John, and I will leave it up to you uh, whether it does. You see a somewhat curved and, like, at this point curled into a fist, mummified human hand. It has, like, down at the wrist, kind of an elaborate ivory and gold handle, almost, that, that is rounded And covered with, like, church imagery, it looks like some of it has rubbed down. And you, the players, might recognize this. You might not. This was an artifact that you recovered after you defeated the silver bullet in battle. Mm -hmm. This is a piece of religious reliquy, um, Mm. a hand of a saint. So this is the hand of Saint Horicia, keeper of the sunken abbey. This is Mm. the actual hand, or purportedly the actual hand, of a woman who was sealed inside a very important abbey. Or or maybe this is St. Miriam, witness of the sunken abbey. It might be her hand. It's probably her hand because Heresia was never recovered. So, Mm. essentially... There was an abbey that was like flooding, basically mm. with seawater, uh, and many, many important church texts were in there. And there was a nun, Miriam, uh, or, or, or a nun, Horizia, who volunteered to stay behind in the abbey and translate as many texts as possible. And she sent out by missive, by bird messenger, all of the texts she could, recovering as much as possible from the Abbey. And Sister Miriam, who worked with her, basically received and and bound all of the manuscripts that she was able to copy over. And the miracle of it is these manuscripts kept coming in for months and years. Uh, Heresia was never able to, like, mm. personally communicate. All that would show up is just manuscript after manuscript after manuscript, And Miriam basically translated and bound these manuscripts until she died. Mm -hmm. And one of her hands was left behind after her body was cremated in death and was like turned into this this relic object that can translate the words of the dead purportedly. And so the hand you see this like mummified hand in the drawer and it moves, like, kind of in slow motion. The the uh, fingers kind of uncurl. And then, as friendly as possible, it tries <laughs> to beckon <laughs> Jonnit uh, forward.
3: Mm. Eh. No uh, <laughs> does does Janet know about Miriam? Does, does he um, know that lore?
1: I don't know. Uh... Here's the thing. Like, we sort of uncovered the story of this object a little bit when we created it after it okay. was looted from the ship. Yeah. It is a question. And I think Oromar or Gable was the person to recover it. it. Might have even been Travis being the person to recover it. Um, but it ended up in Oromar's desk drawer. Probably amongst other, you know, wildly valuable pieces of reliquary and, and artifacts and whatnot. We can see in there there's like a Hellraiser cube and like a Pokeball and like a bunch of other things. A couple in Infinity drawer. Stones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> All the Infinity Stones. You can see that like amongst these objects in the drawer. And it really depends on whether somebody on the ship would have recognized it and explained it to you before it was put away
3: i feel mm-hmm. like there's probably like a loose level of like of like john it probably asked a question like hey what is that the captain probably said part of an Don't answer and then john it stopped like listening and then the captain continued to say the full lore but he was like oh man it's a dead hand wow okay <laughs> um, and it was that like darn adhd yeah, yeah, yeah. uh so he knows that like this is this is like a member of the church's hand. I think he probably like his off ramp was like why would you preserve why would you separate the hand from the body? Like mm-hmm. that seems kind of weird. I wouldn't want my friends to do that. I should make I should start a will now so to make sure that no <laughs> one separates my body from my body when I die. And so so he's like, "Whoa, that's that that's that hand." And then it, like beckons him over. Um and so Jonnet is yeah, he's going to do it, but he's like, "All right, hand, I'm coming over there because I want to. Cuz mm-hmm. I want to do that, not cuz you said." But what's um and so he 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 gets up to the he gets up to the the hand, puts the um the Kasari Gama blade up to it and kind of just like pokes at it like, "Hello?" Me. "Hello?"
1: The hand, which is incapable uh, incapable of moving very suddenly like move slowly towards the blade to like pinch fingers around it so that it can be picked up along with the blade. Uh, and while it like clings onto the blade, it sticks out a little pinky and like tries to gesture towards the desk and like point it over to the desk.
3: Okay. Jonat, He's going to, he's going to like pick it up, hold it with like like, three fingers and a thumb, like, mm. as daintily and as far away from his hi- his face as possible. And he's going <laughs> to, like, kind of go where it is trying to be led. <laughs> mm.
1: Yeah. So, okay, it, okay, like, it's, okay, not, okay, okay. it's not far to, like, gingerly move it up to the desk. And once it is uh, appreciably over the surface of the desk, it, like, drops down onto the drafting pad on the desk and it stands itself up on its fingers and then takes its pointer finger and points very directly towards the quills that are put up at the end of the desk and like gestures at it you're not going to you're not going to curse me are you <laughs> the hand like goes down to the table like taps the table and like shakes its finger back and forth
3: okay and so he he goes over to the quill grabs it brings it back over stops goes back over dips dips it in in some uh ink and then kind of gives him like all right i'm not supposed to i'm really not supposed to be here i'm not supposed to be using the captain's like writing utensils so whatever you do please make it fast and make it worth my time (laughs) so it pinches the quill
1: uh, between its fingers and uses its pinky to like maneuver itself up to the top of the page. And then again, slowly, um, but carefully in like, I think kind of beautiful script, like starts (laughs) to write. And we can see the ink appearing on the page as it writes out, Johnnet, we are all in great danger. Uh, we can see the ink appearing on the page as it writes out, Jonnet, we are all in great danger. Uh, uh, it then Ooh. quickly scoots down the page a little bit and starts a new line. That isn't a curse, by the way. We were in danger before,
3: so I didn't curse you. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Just make sure it stays that way. Who are you? Who are you? Who if is speaking to me right down- now? How can you not recognize me? It's Dref. Oh! Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> uh, hey, man! Giant, giant I guess leg.
1: I have lost some weight. Aha, uh-huh. and it does put that in parentheses. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> so. Jonnet immediately turns the Kasarigama blade to just like offer up, <laughs> offer up a fist to dap, <laughs> dap the hand, <laughs> and
1: even from beyond the grave, uh, Dref daps badly. Uh, it's. <laughs> It he, is even you. Even moving in very slow motion, <laughs> it like it first assumes that this is like a handshake or a high five, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and just doesn't doesn't That's go it. well.
3: Uh, uh Dreff, what do you mean?
1: Who's in danger? It, it drags itself back over to the pen and writes, "All of us." The butcher Talk. was in the pages, watching,
3: waiting. The, wait. Are we? Ta- we're we're talking like, not. Not like the, 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 the rage of the butcher or the, the, you know, disembodiedness of the butcher. The actual butcher luminary was in the pages.
1: Uh, The hand actually takes the time, like pauses and takes the time to write dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Possibly an aspect, perhaps inconclusive. Okay. Definitely a being powerfully bound to the butcher.
3: Ah, Dreff, I I I let I let it out, didn't I? <laughs> the hand
1: pauses again and sheepishly, hmm. actually, Jonet, I want you to roll a, a, a perception check uh that you can do either with your presence or your uh intellect,
3: whichever whichever is better. Mhm. They are both the same, but I have more points from intellect. So I'm going to use two intellect. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I will upgrade documents.
1: (laughs) Uh, So you'll roll a D eight. If you upgrade it twice, actually you're rolling a D. Uh, I I think it would be better to add a D six. So roll a D eight and a D six and tell me, tell me what you
3: have. All right. So on the D eight, that's a seven on the D six. That's a four. Okay. Oh
1: wow. Uh two successes and an opportunity. Cool. Um, <laughs> so you can see as the hand is writing that it writes guiltily. Um hmm. like it it just doesn't do this confident and it goes, Well, Jonnet, I'm sure we'll all be able to forgive you. Um <laughs> but you can tell that breath is You can tell that Trev is lying uh, (laughs) and that you did not uh, release Mm -hmm. this entity.
3: Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, I mean. uh, All right. It was me. Bold, bold print. (laughs) (laughs) What? How? How did you do this from beyond the
1: grave? I read the diary or what passes for a diary. Honestly, most of it was incomprehensible which is what you get with the kind of schooling I imagine this man had.
3: Well, okay, we can't really. I don't think this person made the diary to be read by other people. That's on us for taking the diary and and reading it.
1: The criticism is warranted. Believe me, if I didn't think it would curse you worse, I would make you read it yourself.
3: I eh, don't want to.
2: (laughs) Somewhere far away, Gable is validated. (laughs) <laughs> you shouldn't have read anything.,
3: this is
1: why I don't read. He mentions Sorrow's End. At the end of the diary, he implied that he could see me reading it. But it must have taken place in the past. I've checked the, the future pages. They are all blank, unwritten. But he mentioned Sorrow's End. He mentioned Shank Hill.
3: Okay, okay, all right, well then, can't, uh, no use crying over spilled milk. Okay, this is, this is, uh, that's a then problem. We need to get this butcher back in the book. Um, Agreed. How do we do that? Hmm. It just writes dot, dot, dot. (laughs) No, you're the ideas guy, all right? You come up with things. I'm more of a study guy things
1: kind of happen and i mm-hmm. observe them and uh, make connections to things that i have already learned uh, and okay, build okay, okay. upon a knowledge base that we all, all, right, all right, can right, what from. happens
3: no all right, fine what happens if we what happens if we get the book and we get the cleaver and we smash the cleaver into the book and hold it tight and, and hope that the soul goes back into the pages hmm. is that anything
1: crude but i suppose worth investigating
3: uh if 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 someone I don't think John it's really much of like a a sealing energies containing like containing mm. stuff in stuff, and that's not his magic thing. I feel like him he immediately is like Gable could seal something into something if if they maybe do have that kind of magic. I feel like
1: Gable could at least fuck it up a little bit, you know? <laughs>
3: All right. Until we come up with a better plan, that's the plan. And Jonet was like goes to like grab the hand. He's like, "All right. Wait, I the, we got to wait until the captain and, and Gabe will get back here. Uh, but you" he points to the hand, "you're coming with me." And Jonet goes back into like the uh like the captain's bookshelves, kind of rifles through stuff, grabs uh, a couple piece, loose peaches, pieces of parchment paper and like a, essentially a clipboard and scoops up the hand, puts the hand on his shoulder and goes to the top deck.
1: <laughs> I think keen eyed listeners will notice that the clipboard that Johnet grabs is the clipboard from the Minock. It's just a little Easter egg that we <laughs> slipped, production <laughs> mm-hmm. slipped in there. It's kind of a fun thing for everybody Distinctly uh-huh. um, but-
2: not of period. It is glaringly obvious. <laughs> <laughs> it not well,
1: it wasn't of period in the Star Wars one either. It was just like a generic brown clipboard. <laughs> uh, so. You you grab that. And I think this is a perfect time for Gable and the captain to return as uh, we've already established that a bunch of time has passed. Mm-hmm. And you did mention earlier that you weren't specifically supposed to be touching things in the captain's desk without permission. Mm. I think that's kind of funny.
3: So then, yeah, jonet throws the hand on his shoulder, grabs all the stuff. The captain's quarters is a mess. Uh, when it's like one of those things where you have to look for one thing, and so you empty up all the drawers to look for the one thing, and then you spend all that time, you found the one thing, but now you got to book it. So he goes to, he does not clean up at all, goes to throw open the door and pokes his head out into the hallway and sees the captain and Gable like walking down into the lower deck. Uh.
1: Yeah. Uh, you John can see your obvi- the office. There's just infinity stones and sonic screwdrivers everywhere. <laughs> uh, jo-
3: John at Kessler, uh,
0: you're uh, timely. I suppose you were anticipating our arrival. Wait, has, has Oromar seen his office? Uh, I, I think you're in, I think you're in the way. So he's like walking towards the the captain's quarters and is like like, the closer that he's getting to the doorway, the harder his expression is getting as he's kind (laughs) of like peering past you. Were you looking for something, Jonat Kessler?
3: Jonat
0: reflexively
3: goes to like put one hand in front of the hand on his shoulder and then Mm. he's just like... What am I doing? And then he <laughs> kind of puts his hand down. And is like,
2: Gable knocks it off it. his shoulder. Ah!
3: <laughs>
2: no! It falls to the ground with like
1: a thud. Starts like
2: stamping at it. on him.
3: Gable, Gable, Gable! No, no! It's it's it's, it's, it's cursed! It's cursed! It probably is very cursed, but it's also Drev! Oh,
0: I, I see. I, I recognize it as one of the reliquaries we obtained from. Um one of our previous encounters, the silver bullet, maybe. But uh what why why is this important? It's it's wait, hold on, hold on. It's it's Dref.
3: Yeah, um you told me about it. It can communicate with the dead, and I guess it's tuned in to Dref's
2: frequency. Mm. John, I see how you can make this mistake. Dref was a very small man, but he did have a whole body and not just a hand <laughs> before. So he may just be a ghost now, but this is not. Oh Dref. yeah, yeah. He, he, he. You
3: know, I forgot that Dref
0: wasn't just a hand. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I know that. This uh, is this is
3: our friend
0: somehow. Uh, Oromar or like strides past the two of you bickering into the into the office and sees like the number of like opened books that are just strewn across the desk, and with one arm just kind of like sweeps them all off the table, so there's now space.
2: See, <laughs> but. All right. If this is Dref, uh, okay. If this is ha- Dref's hand, Dref, can you make a hand uh, an O with your hand?
1: Uh, the the middle finger of the hand like sticks up uh, and points at cable.
2: <laughs> no, hey, Dref, I'm trying to do a funny bit. Make an O with your hand. <laughs> make an O, please. I want to do my, stick my fingers in like like in sex. <laughs>
0: <laughs> C- clearly, Gable, having to have, uh, having sat at that dinner for as long as it has has made you delirious. I thought we I were going to get, get you some food.
2: food and you, I only had wine.
0: You did have <laughs> gruel available. They did have gruel for the pious among
2: us. I want a sandwich.
0: Yes, I will um, call a Where? member of the crew to obtain one. But uh, it's clearly we have something important to discuss.
3: What took? And then he's, he says this very slowly, and with every word, it's like more directed at Gable. What took so long?
2: Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! <sighs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Is he okay? Is Angelo okay? Yeah. Yes.
0: Angelo. <laughs> uh you... Did mention something offhand about butcher involvement. Do we...
2: Offhand? (laughs) It wasn't offhand. That was not the tone. That was not the tone. It was a very intensely proportional tone. To the severity of the situation.
0: To be fair, Gable, uh, the severity of the situation coming across in your voice is usually quite high. Yes. It's very difficult G- to separate out, out the uh-huh. um, urgent from maybe the can wait. But uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then uh-huh. what was what's the situation, Jonat Kessler? Are we going to be talking to uh, this yeah, new yeah, form one. of dreth or are we going to be oh. seeing the person that you've taken in?
3: I I I don't think I don't think Angelo is in any condition to be talking to us. Uh, Carmen Carmen's got him stabilized, but he's he's still unconscious, and so that means the the cleaver's still out there, which means the butcher's still out there. Um, if we can, I, I feel like we don't wait for Angelo to wake up. Mm-hmm. Dreff seems to have some kind of insight into what's going on and so i say we we go to after the the cleaver just us
1: hmm. yeah and john it can like even hold up the the paper with like his essentially chat log mm-hmm. with with Drift yeah. that mm-hmm. kind of explains the situation more or less
0: or a more leans and- forward peering at it and and this is where i i started to like train
3: the hand on the prompts of you know <laughs> narrowing down and into like what is the the butcher and it, it took a couple mm. back and forths but i fed it some reference mm-hmm. uh text mm-hmm. to really get it like honed in and honestly i think and- r- you just stole that text from anywhere.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's like, it's someone else's text. It's someone else's, like, you know, source, source like, intellectual property. Yeah. But what it's churning out now is completely original.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that does explain the number of books that were open on my It desk. does
3: start just writing a transcript of the
1: Star Wars campaign. Really no,
3: right. no, 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 no. <laughs> smack it, smack it, smack <laughs> it, smack <laughs> um, it. So... Uh, Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Where are we going? Uh, I don't know where to go. (laughs) Mm.
0: So the, uh, as I understand the, 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 this, the, the essence of the butcher is going to be driven towards things that, uh, exhibit its qualities, that kind of hunger for violence, that killing intent.
3: Yeah. So I, I'm not sure if. If the presence of the cleaver like furthers or catalyzes murderous intent, or it's just drawn to murderous intent. But I feel like the longer that we wait, that's more time for somewhere out there in this town, someone's going to get real stabby and the cleaver's going to find him. And
1: Nathan, I think like within Oromar, like thinking through the situation, there is mm-hmm. an inkling of. This is an aspect of the butcher, a connection between some kind of moral, or of mortal essence and Mm illuminary. There is something to be learned here.
0: Mm -hmm. I had a clue in my hands this entire time, and I let it slip away outside of my notice. Frustrating. Okay, very well. Uh, The nature of Sorrow's End is. many, many people who have a hunger to bite back at the people who have put them there brewing day after day with no outlet. There are dozens of people in this uh, town that could be harboring killing intent.
3: I don't even know where to start then. Hmm.
0: It's uh, quite late at this hour. Yeah. Is there, um having uh, wandered around during day the daylight hours and having been given something of a tour of the imported buildings by uh, Mr. Stone. Um, Do we know if there's anywhere here that like has a graveyard shift?
1: Uh, Yeah, I I think I mentioned that like the factories run at some capacity almost Mm -hmm. all the time. There Mm -hmm. is a kind of technocratic uh, worker schedule where... There's basically always a shift on, always a shift resting, and always a shift asleep.
0: <laughs> Having uh, rubbed elbows with uh, some of the so-called nobility who reside here, I'm not quite sure if any of them are looking to be out for blood this evening. Although uh, the more I uh, speak to either trusts the uh, factory foreman slash owner, uh, the more. It feels like she would do literally anything to get her way, including bloody murder. But I do wonder if there is anybody who is uh, up at this hour on their shift who is uh, percolating resentful feelings. It might be a place to start, if nothing else.
1: I think now is a good time to complicate the problem further Mm -hmm. and do this by in Gable's pocket there is a a drop of glass that has within it a prophecy sealed there were three prophecies uh, Mm. that were given to you by cerise on haven another one shatters open so that you can see it oh what you see overwhelming your vision is sorrow's end over the town You can't tell how far in the future this is. Near the wilderness around, there is a thick crimson haze that like is rolling over the town and all of the surrounding area. Then you can see inside the town itself within the vision. It is eerily quiet. There are no birds chirping. There is really No sound except the wind, and even that is hushed by how thick the air is. Looking around within this vision, you can see people, all fallen to the ground or slumped against walls, basically dead on their feet. Though very little of their actual skin can be seen, the the little skin that is there and on their clothes, there is this apparent crimson powder that has fallen over everyone. And this vision tours you through the town and very quickly, obviously, within the span of seconds, you receive the vision, but it shows you the dead mask of every living soul currently in Sorrow's End. You understand this vaguely to be a future.
2: Do I understand it to be, like, the result of some sort of explosion or something, or?
1: It is hard to say exactly what might be the right cause of it. Like, you, you you, don't know what set this off. What you are seeing is the result of whatever it is. Though I will say it does not look like this was an especially violent end for anyone here. Mm-hmm. It does look like... Every single person in this town is dead and that includes some of the scarier people like Edith Truss. Yeah. Um, but it was sudden.
2: It was a sudden It was happening.
1: it was sudden? It, it was it was sudden but it wasn't like an emergency that people were running from. Gotcha. There are maybe a couple people who are like grouped or huddled together in some sort of distress but most people kind of like just fell down where they were.
2: Gable comes out of that. <sighs> I can't remember if I've told you two about the prophecies. Prob, I probably told John about the last one. So there's a little bit implied in between all their conversations. I think I have told you that Cerise gave me these
0: three. You've watched one of them together at the bar previously, <laughs> yeah. so.
2: And I would assume that I told the captain because, like, why well, I, w- I, w- mm-hmm. I would tell you what had happened at the bar, um,
3: real quick. Nathan, props to you for remembering that, because I only remember that because I listened to the otter
0: like <laughs> an yeah. hour before we jumped on the call. No worries. No worries.
2: <laughs> yeah. It was a uh, hot second
0: since we lost it. I'm glad I remembered yeah. too. Um, but okay. Uh, There's, yeah, The <gasps> consternated faces all around, I guess, of a kind of like a powder, you say.
2: we. It seems no matter what sorrow's end will be subject to a great tragedy. I don't mm. know when. But that is inevitability. At the end, this place will not continue forever. An a possible inevitability, which is those two things don't necessarily <laughs> make yeah. sense
1: together. I, I will. I, yeah, I'll, I will remind everyone a because we we might thing. not have remembered that prophecies are not necessarily guaranteed. Mm-hmm. They do show possible futures and likely futures. But you were able to subvert a prophecy that Jeanette gave you earlier. Mm. He said that he saw a vision where you knelt before the morning star because you had that warning beforehand. It and you promised Travis that you would subvert that fate. You did indeed subvert that fate, and that led to you and Travis together battling the morning Mm -hmm. star instead. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: So, you know, that's possible. It's possible. So, this is a fate that can be turned now that we are informed.
2: I we have a path forward that I think we may not have anticipated when we got here. I think we arrived here to gather information, load up on supplies, and make our plans for upcoming adventures.
1: Mm.
2: However, I feel as if we if we do not get involved with the situation in Sorrows End, we would be somewhat responsible for what I saw, if by our doing nothing. Mm. Also to say, if we do get more involved, this is something that I would want to broach with the crew, not just a passive inclination, because revolution starting requires more than three people.
0: You raise very good points on both accounts. I think if we are to go and intervene, it's going to require more manpower than just the three of us. And moreover... If we are going to be involved, it is going to ultimately go and blow away what a uh, ruse we have set amongst the people here of who we are. Now, this does mean that anybody who resides within Sorrow's End, who, upon realizing who we are, could be a threat to us down the line, cannot leave. Mm.
1: Or has to leave before things
0: get started Hmm. so uh, did i get much of an impression of how long uh edith's guests would be staying
1: um you didn't Uh, like Mm. it seems like most of them are kind of the layabout wealthy class Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. i think one person, like Liz's character, said that they were there to negotiate for uh, dies, and like didn't get the deal that she wanted, so just decided to stay Stick around, yeah, and mm-hmm. continue to negotiate for the mm-hmm. same discount, and has been doing that goodness knows how long, yeah. So mm. they're kind of just hanging out. It seems Layabouts.
0: <laughs> Many of them I'm not. Con- I'm not concerned with, but uh, Edith Truss takes clearly pride in her efficiency and uh, has no real interest in uh, forming allies with the other people she's working with here. Least of all the priest. Her being able to leave Sorrows End and tell others of our presence would be disastrous.
3: I wait. Are we saying that we are we about to? take out some folks
0: it would not be the first time johnette kessler i I mean yeah true but
2: i feel like we (laughs) takes a big sigh
0: yeah
3: (laughs) (laughs) it's i feel like it's not often that we like go into something being like hey we're about to like have some marks and like you've got to you've got to be gone for us to do this great Mm. cool uh (laughs)
0: Uh, My my days of running the skies red with blood was uh, in my younger days. I prefer to be much more of a tactician and only shed blood when it is truly necessary in my old age. He says, not really looking that old at all, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) But this is one of those instances where I think uh, having to go and uh, shed some blood is vital to our survival to the wider plan at hand.
2: Speaking of hand, Dref, any thoughts?
1: <laughs> Dref is like kind of wi- like antsily like wiggling the fingers like mm-hmm. li- scrambling over for a pen and writes down, okay, so murders is an option. Mm-hmm. Totally. Definitely. <laughs> um, That'll be more of your thing than it will be my thing. I do think murders around an aspect of the butcher could get dangerous
2: great point (laughs) that's a good point
3: Uh, yeah that's kind of like what what it wants right (laughs) Mm,
2: oh okay so we're already part of it interesting the chess <laughs> the chessboard has been laid. All yeah, right.
3: yeah, we've been playing.
0: <laughs> not, We're already in it. Not, not to be arrogant, Gable, but I feel that having the cleaver in my possession is maybe less dangerous than uh, an actor that we are not aware of within Sorrows End.
2: Gotcha. But doing murders to find the murder god is accomplishing the murder god's plan or desires. And may make it more powerful if we did those murders.
1: Draft rights unclear. Sky And so, I foolishly agreed to meet him there the following night, and the night after that, building up to the night just before he was to leave, the stakes steadily growing higher and higher. And I, of course, was only playing with the money that I had won from him in order to ante against him. But after a few nights of winning, I had saved up enough to place a gold bar on the Illimat. It was a fierce game. It seemed that as he was playing against me, he was learning how to play at the same time. I don't know if he spent his table mostly with untalented players who were uncreative in how they pursued their goals. And this was simply his first experience playing against anyone who had any kind of skill. All the life of a decorated red feather officer such as himself did not afford him much time at the illamat table. Whatever the case, by that final night, he was a different man than the one he was before. After nearly a week of playing against this man, I had enough saved up that I could place a single gold bit on that illimat. A gold bit represents years of low-class living. I'm not so prudent that I could make it last that long, but losing it would most certainly be losing no small fortune." And in this game against this young fellow, I was fighting for my life. Hand after hand, we each slowly crawled our way towards that 17. In the final hand, I stood at quite the disadvantage of 13 to his 15. At this point, I had to weigh my options. If I won the round, I could walk away with a second gold bet. Even living as a lush... I might be able to begin an early retirement. I'd still have to do a little work on occasion, but two gold bits could easily spend slow if you're careful about where you travel to. It was a sort of fortune worth cashing in a few chips. I had always conducted myself honorably within Lucius's establishment, which meant I knew that if there were a disagreement, he would take my side." And i had seen over the years just how far lucius's word could stretch these chips were worth cashing in so i took advantage of the shuffle i was able to move things to ensure that i took points in the early round even if you're dealing slick with Illamat, it's a game that you can't control the whole way through that's one of the reasons that sailors prefer it so but if you're able to keep the board at your advantage throughout you can knock your opponent off balance especially when you're playing for quite a bit of money, it makes them nervous. And moving that way through, I was able to claim a victory for myself quite handily. I was reaching forward to take my second gold bit when Mr. Tiberius objected. I had anticipated this, and I played my role evenly and coolly and obviously appealed to Mr. Lucius. And Lucius played his part exactly as I needed him to, appealing to peace and reason, swearing up and down about my rock-solid character. My aim was simple. I needed to walk out of there with my two gold bits, and it didn't matter whether I was allowed to return there ever again. But then things started to get out of hand. It seems I quite underestimated both Mr. Tiberius's wrath and his sway over the local Red Feather Authority. The compromise that we came to was imperfect. The constabulary was to hold on to my potential winnings until a thorough investigation of my character had been completed. If I had proved myself within that community to be a truly upstanding person, then they would accept my victory as legitimate, and I'd be able to walk away with a lifetime's worth of winnings but that seemed to be enough to mollify the wrath of Tiberius Youngblood. Before he left for that evening, he even offered me his hand, congratulating me on my potential victory, should my character prove me worthy of claiming it. I was sore, but I pretended to be graceful. An investigation began of one sort or another, turning over every rock they could find, trying to give themselves some reason not to reward me. Eventually, the... Investigation ran on so long that Tiberius left port, and I imagine that when his wrathful little heart took to the winds, eventually the local establishment would grow bored of the game. But it seems he paid them handsomely enough to go entirely by the book, and the judgment I was rendered was one that I could not believe. The Red Feathers had determined that my character was mostly upstanding, as there were no complaints of me being a cheat that could be found anywhere within the town. However, to be considered a true gentleman, I couldn't have any debts levied against my name. And their investigation had turned over a single debt that I maintained in town, and that was my tab with the beached siren. While I had unofficially covered it with tips to Lucius, He still had that little recorded book of every drink that I had ordered that hadn't been settled up. It wasn't exactly an overwhelming amount, but I could see how it might be shocking to gentler hearts that make their living through the strength of their arms. I didn't have the funds on me to pay it off at that moment in time. But, of course, with a little bit more grace from Lucius, it would not be an impossible amount to build up and pay off in order to collect my winnings and fly away. Which is why I was deeply dismayed the next day to find out that the beached siren had burned down in a freak accident. Despite their thorough investigation into my character... It seems the Red Feathers were able to open and close that investigation within a single day. And Lucius, bless his head and wherever he may be resting it these days, had a history of being quick to fold. After the siren had burnt down, he received an offer. Rather than rebuild the place, sell off the business and plot to new ownership. And they offered him an amount that he couldn't help but agree to. I know at the time he told me where he would be going, and I'm sure I remembered then, but I still had a glint for gold in my eye. Without the warm shelter of the siren and playing for smaller amounts, it would take me a much longer time to clear my name and free up my winnings, and I do believe part of me intended to follow Lucius afterwards. But as he sailed away with his new fortune, I know I chose to stay behind. And the thing that I didn't count on, whomever purchased that business from Lucius purchased all assets, including the debt that Lucius held over me. And the new owners sold that debt off to the Red Feather Syndicate. Just as I had put together a small pot of money that would put me within spitting distance of collecting my fortune, there was a knock at my door at the local inn. It seems the syndicate had a new way that they would prefer my debt be paid down, as apparently, in all my years owing it to Lucius, I had never made a single payment towards that tab. At least according to that rough and unofficial ledger. This gave the Feathers an extraordinary license to pack me up and ship me off here, where I was supposed to be able to serve through my debt in three years. I learned pretty quickly that this wasn't the sort of community that you could afford to ruffle feathers in. It's the sort of place where you need to lean on people, depend on each other. And a lucky gambler can't live long in such a place. So I've had to play it close to my chest. I do have a receipt for my winnings. And I'm looking at my final year of work, trying to ignore the scarlet as it advances. I think I need to just put away... A little bit more. Maybe host just one game to push me over the edge. Though it's unignorable being here that I have learned that that most certainly wouldn't be right. The folks that it would be right to take money from aren't the sort that I'd be able to share a table with. I do have solace in two things. I was partially right in my assessment. I did indeed never see Tiberius Youngblood again. Shortly after I ended up here, I received word that he passed away, apparently fallen victim to a lethal blow in a jousting match. I can only imagine that his face in that moment was the same face that I saw when I first bested him. The surprise, the anger, the indignation, that those were the last things that he felt on Sphere. Well... When I toss and turn at night due to the sensitivities caused by the scarlet, that does soothe me some. And until I clear my name, that's all I have. Campaign Skyjacks is a One Shot Network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. It's an actual play starring me, James D'Amato, Mel D'Amato, Ali Grauer, and Drew Mirzieski, as we playtest the No Kings system, which will hopefully one day be the Skyjacks role playing system. It tows the line between weird and wonderful slice of life and high flying space fantasy. You can sample the first five episodes by searching for Starwall Odyssey on your favorite podcast app, or get the whole thing by heading to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and signing up for $5 a month or more. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. shotpodcastcom Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. Tyler is on strike alongside his fellow members of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA. You can support Tyler and other striking artists by contributing to the Entertainment Community Fund, linked in our show notes. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at LizAnderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at PhantomArtsEnt or streaming at twitch.tv slash TheNeonCaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG, or on my podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him over on Twitter at Arnie Parrott, or on his website, ATPTunes. This episode was edited by Allie Grauer, who can be found on Twitter at dreams to become or on her podcast, Skyjack's Courier's Call. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Lunarum. The world of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show was made in part by using a modified version of the Genesis role playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals. There are no kings. Take flight.
2: Health to the strangers who've ever been kind. And once for our friends, ne'er rise. Twice to the dearest
0: we're leaving behind. Who know we can never deny the call of the sky.